Our sponsor today, Manscaped, has you covered to keep the hair looking nice and trimmed and feeling fully supported. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. The Premium Lawnmower 3.0 is waterproof, includes an LED light, and is made with advanced skin-safe technology, which reduces nicks and cuts on your delicates. You can get this trimmer inside their Perfect Package 3.0, which also includes the Manscaped Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and the Crop Reviver Ball Toning Spray. Both super practical and they smell great too. Plus, for a limited time, when you order the Perfect Package Kit, you get two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag and the Manscaped Anti-Chafing Boxer Briefs. The Manscaped Boxer Briefs have optimal temperature control with their crop cooling technology, while keeping your pride and joy supported. The waistband is also super elastic to reduce chafing and rubbing. So, get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And use code THEATHLETIC20. From the moose to the caboose, always use the right tools for the job. Hey everybody, Scott Burnside back for the Friday edition of Two Man Advantage, the podcast, wrapping up a well an event-filled week in the National Hockey League. And to carry us home for this week, a man who needs almost no introduction, but I'll do it anyway. Colby Cohen, former NHL player, broadcast analyst, entrepreneur, a man who has it all going on, and he's already taken his dogs out for a walk this morning. Colby, I, I would, I hope it sounds like you're at the top of your game already. Well, you know what, the dogs are the the deciding factor of what time the morning starts in my house. When they're ready to get up, that's that's when the house is up. So it's uh, I'm at their mercy, especially on a Friday when they're probably a little hungry and they're ready to get going. <laughs> well, it's great to have you aboard again, and uh, there's lots to unpack. Of course, we're going to talk about dramatic finish to Game 3 in the Western Conference Final, um, and we're going to catch up on the East Final, which uh, we'll see Game 3 on Friday evening. Uh, but, Colby, I was really I was so pleased that you were going to join us today because um, I wanted to talk to you about a couple of people who uh, have come to prominence this week. They were already prominent, but uh, were certainly recognized for their work. And I wanted to start with Bruce Cassidy, who was named Jack Adams winner earlier this week, uh, besting Alain Vigneault and John Tortorella as the uh, National Hockey League broadcasters cast their ballots for that award. And uh, it's very cool because you played for Bruce a couple of times, right? Tell me about your history with him and maybe what, you know, when you think of Bruce Cassidy, what do you think of? Yeah, I mean, it's it's obviously uh, interesting timing, like you mentioned, because I, you know, most of my pro career was spent with Bruce. And, um, you know, most people who have played for him or know him well, you know, he goes by Butch or Butchie. Uh, he's, that's, he always, I think, preferred that over coach or Coach Cassidy or anything along those lines. But he was the assistant coach my first year in Providence when I got traded from Colorado uh, to Boston. And, um, the next two years, I, yeah, the next two years he became the head coach. So, uh, I had three years under him 
uh, my first year, he ran the defense and, and worked with the defense since he was a defenseman, obviously. And we spent a lot of time together on the road during the 2011 playoffs because, um, you know, the, the extra group of skaters that, that traveled with the big club, um, you know, we, Butch was always out on the ice with us, ready to play and, and, uh, condition us, but then he always wanted to play three on three because, uh, Butch, he's a skill player. He, he was when he played, so he, he likes the small games, but, um, you know, I had such an interesting experience with him getting to sort of see, uh, both sides of it as an assistant coach and a head coach. And, and Scott, as you know, they're different roles, but, um, you know, it's, it's, I'm not surprised to see the um, the success that he's had because, you know, the one thing that I would I would take away from my time with Butch is that he knows hockey X's and O's about as well as anybody I've ever met. I mean, he fully understands how to look at some film with you and say, guys, this is the penalty kill that you're going to see uh, if you enter the zone this way and you execute, you will get in 99.9% of the time. And there were times where the guys would sort of look around at each other unsure. But if we did what he said, it always worked. So, um, you know, he, he, he understands the tactics and the X's and O's part of coaching, you know, so well. I mean, I, I still, as an analyst, look at things uh, and and even use terminology that I learned when he was my coach um, for better or for worse uh, <laughs> and and in, in those years and you know I think the other thing that I, I want to at least you know call out and give credit to is is you know it wasn't for me personally always smooth sailing with him I mean uh, you know and and that goes for some players as well I you know I, I definitely, had moments with him, but when I reflect on a lot of those moments, um, he's a very passionate coach. And, you know, that's really one thing you can, you can ask for in a coach is just passionate and, and a straightforward guy. And he's very, very straightforward. He's very passionate. You know where you stand with him. And uh, you might not appreciate him as much when you're living it and, and you're a young 21, 22 year old player. But when you look back, you come to appreciate uh, that type of thing. And, and um, you know, I, I, I give him credit because he had to, you know, he climbed the ladder, the coaching ladder as a, as a young man. And then he really got knocked off and had to start over and sort of reinvented himself, reinvented how he dealt with people and his players and, uh, he wouldn't have lasted this long with the Bruins with that type of veteran leadership group if he didn't, um, you know, adapt and and understand how to how to deal with different personalities and his own personality and and you know make his passion sort of you know cr- create a positive light with it. So um, you know I've enjoyed crossing paths with him since I've switched over to the media side and I've done some Winter Classic games he's been involved in and. I always appreciate his candor when he's in his different uh, press conferences and meetings with the media. So, um, you know, I, I'm not surprised. Like I said, he's he's a he's an absolute X's and O's genius. Um, and, you know, I, I just I give him credit for sort of adapting to the modern game, the modern player. And, and you know, I think he's going to be around the league and coaching at a high level for a long time. You know, you know what I really like about uh, Bruce winning 
the Jack Adams is that often it goes to a coach who coaches his team up. It's a coach of an underachieving team or a team that, you know, had lots of injuries or doesn't spend a lot on free agency, whatever it is. It's a team that maybe surprises. And so that's often how the Jack Adams goes. And I I don't have any uh, quarrel with that, but I do think historically it's been an award that, you know, it's been difficult for coaches on elite teams to win this award um, because maybe the expectation is, well, listen, the Bruins are a good team. They just com- came back from, you know, they went to a Game 7 of a Stanley Cup final a year ago in June. Of course, they're a good team. You or I could coach that team, blah, blah, blah. Well, that's not how it works. And I thought that the way that Bruce Cassidy coached that Bruins team, um, coming off a heartbreaking loss in Game 7 and then having them at the very top of the league by quite a quite a wide margin at the time of the pause, I just think speaks to what you were talking about, Colby. It's just what a what a what a great motivator he is and what a a great game planner. So just before we leave him, I want to ask you this question though. I, I know man, we've still we got a million miles to travel before we get to the twenty twenty two Olympics in Beijing. The idea, though, that the NHL could and and might return to the Olympics says it gives us a lot of a pause for questions. And I've seen Bruce Cassidy's name come up, as it should, I think, as a potential head coach for Team Canada. I wonder, do you see him in that kind of a role or at the very least being on a Canadian staff if we get to a point where the NHL does return to the Olympics in 2022? I have a hard time envisioning him being left off the staff. I mean, I... I really don't, you know, know a ton about the inner workings of Hockey Canada because I came up through USA Hockey. Um, and so I don't, you know, know so much about their process of how they like to go about picking their teams, you know, other than they set, they generally have incredible teams and incredible coaches. But um, I do... I, I do have a hard time envisioning a scenario where he doesn't get an opportunity to be on the team as a coach in some respect because of his ability to, like I talked about, sort of help, um, you know, game plan and X's and O's. And, you know, I know you have a short window of time with the Olympics to get your team practicing together and get on the same page. And, you know, I think back to my second year in the American League where he was you know, we were doing things exactly like the Bruins up top were doing things. And from practice drills to neutrals, I mean, and he made sure uh, the way that he prepared us, we could play in a game for Providence on a Friday or Boston on a Friday, and it wasn't going to matter. And, you know, not a lot of American League teams have the ability to do that. And their coaches, you know, want their own philosophies and stuff. So, you know, sort of his ability to be a team player and and sort of play his role in development and still trying to win because he wants to get pushed up. I mean, you know, Scott, you really nailed something there that you don't see these coaches on really good teams win. And everybody here in Philadelphia uh, was calling for AV to win and couldn't believe how Bruce Cassidy would have got the votes. But, you know, going wire to wire as the best team in the league before the pause is not an easy thing to do coming off of a Stanley Cup loss, as you mentioned. And, you know, not to mention the fact that, you know, a, a really good team, a coach can can actually screw that up more than help it. And and I would argue you know, a, a really a, a good coach can make his team almost 50 to 60 percent worse or maybe 20 percent better. So 
that balancing act of being able to take the elite Bruins and all that talent that he has in Boston and manage it, manage ice time, um, manage personalities. It's, it's a lot harder than one may think. So I'm glad you pointed that out because I never really got there, but uh, it's a very real and important thing to talk about when you talk about him or, or John Cooper or any of these teams that really have just been elite from the drop of the puck. So, yeah, well, you provide the perfect segue then Colby, because you mentioned John Cooper, the head coach of the Tampa Bay lightning. And we know that the New York Islanders, um, you know, that the under Barry Trotz, who was last year's uh, Jack Adams winner, there's never quit in the New York Islanders, but boy, that uh, it, I'm fascinated to see what happens in Game 3 after giving up the winning goal to Nikita Kucherov in Game 2 with 8.8 .8 seconds left. Um, some some news coming into Game 3. We know that Alex Kalorn will get a one-game suspension for his hit on Brock Nelson. I, I'm curious what you you made of that whole thing, and, and I'll, I will preface it as I shouldn't do, but I'll do it anyway, because I didn't, I thought the call on the ice was sufficient, right? It was early in the game. So Kalorn basically gets a game five minute power play for the Islanders. I, what I really hated was the Barkley Goodrow cross check on the back of uh, Brock Nelson's head later in the game that went uncalled. And in my mind might have been more dangerous, but no supplemental discipline there. But anyway, the lightning will be without Alex Kalorn and they may be without Braden point. Um, probably the odds on favorite from the East for the Conn Smythe at this stage. I'm wondering what you make of this whole dynamic going into game three, knowing Barry Trotz's personality and the personality of the Islanders, or, or it's just, is Tampa just too good at this point that it doesn't matter who's in or who's out. They are a team that, that seems destined to be going to the final. Yeah. Well, first off, I do agree with you. I think Alex Kalorn served enough um, for his hit. I, I obviously, uh, don't you, you don't like seeing guys hit their heads or or get get whacked from behind? I mean, you just don't like it as a as any part of being involved in hockey. You hate to see it just because you know you put yourself in those shoes and it's it's terrible. You know how much it hurts. It's it's uncalled for. I mean, it's it's no good. So uh, I felt like the refs handled that pr properly. Um, I was surprised that he got an extra game. I really was, um, and I agree on the Barkley Goodrow play where. You know, that play is much more avoidable. I, I feel like Kalorn was sort of finishing his check and, you know, didn't do the, the best job at, at pulling up. But with the Goodrow hit, I felt like that was a lot more deliberate. Um, so, I, you know, I just think that it creates a little bit of confusion as far as, you know, what is and what isn't. Um, but I don't envy George Paros and his group because those guys have a hard job. Uh, things are happening fast out there. Uh, understanding the intent when it's that fat. I mean, it's, it's not an easy job. I don't envy those guys. And, you know, it sort of segues into the, the game tonight because you don't know if Braden points going to play. Uh, Kalorn's already out. You know, we know Stamkos isn't going to play in the series. So, you know, it, it creates new opportunities for the Islanders, um, you know, against a shorthanded Tampa team. And, uh, you know, Barry Trotz is, like you said, he's a he's a details guy, and you know I, I think the Islanders are lacking in their details game right now. I think that they're making uncharacteristic, unforced errors, and it's it's costing them. But uh, on the same token, you got to think the pressure that that Tampa's been putting on them is is creating that. I mean, Tampa puts 
the defensive core of the Islanders under a lot more stress than uh, we've seen that the Islanders D core be under. And uh, speaking of coaching, you know, I look at the way that Tampa started this series and, and obviously it helps when Braden Point scores a goal in the first minute of the series. But um, you look at some of the, the system tweaks and, and some of the adjustments and maybe they, you wouldn't call them tweaks because they hadn't played against each other yet. But the way Tampa's used the hinge play in the neutral zone, you know, the Islanders want to try to steer you up the wall with that first guy and then try to you know, get you alone and that way they can outnumber you. But Tampa has, you know, used that hinge play that you don't see quite as much in hockey as you did five or eight years ago. And they're using the weak side of the ice in the neutral zone. And then Tampa supports the puck about as well as anybody. They make those two, three foot passes where you're sitting at home and you're thinking, why pass that and not skate it? Well, you know, every time you make that two foot pass, you change the angle um, of where the puck has to the net, you change the angle of attack to the net. I mean, it, there's so many reasons why that's so hard to defend. Um, and, you know, I look at the way Tampa's done that and even without point, um, and, and tonight maybe without, or, you know, without Kalorin, but maybe tonight without point, I still look at the way Tampa plays the game and, and they're going to bring some of this depth in probably, whether it's, you know, um, Joseph or Stevens or uh, Vernaghi. I mean, they, you know, and they got their seven defensemen that they've been rolling, which has looked really good. Um, you know, they're, they look like a tough team. I mean, I, I, I think the Islanders, Scott, are, are going to fight and they're going to push because they're, they're definitely not the team that's going to just roll over. But um, they certainly have looked outmatched, in my opinion, through these first two games. And, you know, you and I have exchanged some text messages about it during the games. I mean, it's it's credit Tampa. I mean they and and Vasilevsky. I mean it's it's right down the wire. They just look really good. Yeah, I I am fascinated to see just what kind of pushback the Islanders have. And boy, that's you know that's it, opposite ends of the spectrum in, in terms of gut punches. You know, getting beat eight two in game one, and then really a game that I thought they were the better team for a, a, a lot of it, and then to lose as they did in, in the final seconds. Um, Colby, I don't want you to go away. I want to. We're going to take a brief break, and then we're going to talk Western Conference. And I want to ask you about Sean Couturier since you mentioned Philadelphia earlier. But uh, don't go away. We'll be right back for some final thoughts from Colby Cohen. Now is the time to celebrate. Football is back. And DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports, is putting you in the center of this weekend's action with over $8 million up for grabs across all of their contests. To kick off the season, DraftKings is giving new users a free shot at a $1 million top prize with your first deposit when you use code MAYS, M-A-Y-S, during sign-up. Get in on the action now. Draft your lineup now and feel the sweat like never before. Every run, pass, and catch means more with the DraftKings lineup. It's simple. Just pick your lineup, stay under the salary cap, and see how your team stacks up against the competition. Nothing adds to the sweat of watching the game quite like having a shot at a million-dollar top prize. DraftKings has paid out billions of dollars to winners since 2012, so they know a thing or two about cold, hard cash. Download the DraftKings app now and use code MAYS, M-A-Y-S. For a limited time, new users can get a free shot at the $1 million top prize and compete for over $8 million in prizes across all contests. Don't miss this extra special week one bonus. 
Enter code MAZE to get a free shot at the $1 million top prize with your first deposit. That's code MAZE, M-A-Y-S, only at DraftKings. Make it rain. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Colby, I get, and maybe it's because I spent a year in Dallas with the Dallas Stars, but I, I, I fall, I've just been so curious about the Stars as they've uh, wound their way through the Western Conference uh, playoffs and, of course, matching up against a, a very good Vegas team, well-coached, deep, goaltending depth, all that kind of stuff. But when I see Jamie Alexiak charging down the ice late in the second period uh, and scoring the the, uh, the first goal of that game and the first goal for a long time for the Stars uh, in game uh, in game three to give them that lead, I was like, this is, this is why you love the playoffs right it's some of the completely unexpected of course the game ends i don't know an hour an hour and a half later with alexander radulov early in overtime scoring on a on a deadly shot from the right side to give the stars i think it's fair to say an unexpected 2-1 series lead but i shouldn't project onto you are, are you surprised by how this is unfolding in the west yes without a doubt i you know i look at vegas and how deep they are at the center ice position um, and I look at some of their their players. I mean, I mean, they they have some of my some guys that I really personally enjoy watching play hockey. And and uh, Shea Theodore being one of them. Um, you know, he doesn't get the same. You know, doesn't get talked about quite as much. And I just watch the things that he does. And he scored a goal the other night. That I, I mean, I, I'm not someone who usually sees something and goes to Twitter. But boy, he scored that goal the other night where he danced in off the point and uh, shot that puck up high. And I just, I, I, could, I was like, uh, how is this not trending on social media right now? It was such a pretty play. Um, you know, Scott, I, I did the, the Winter Classic this year for Westwood One, and, and I've got to see Dallas quite a bit over the last couple of seasons for some reason. Um, you know, they like to pair me up with Ralph Strangis, who who lives out in the West, and we always end up doing Dallas games in the playoffs. But so so Dallas has been an impressive team, sort of knocking at the door for the last couple of seasons. Um, I didn't think that they would be able to survive without Ben Bishop. Uh, I played with Anton Hudobin, and uh, he was always a goaltender who could wow you with a lot of saves, even back back to the days in the American League for him. And he would save just, I mean, you'd be like, how did he save that? Because he doesn't, you know, he doesn't strike you as the most athletic guy when you, when you see him, but, um, and then he lets in goals where you're, you know, you, you were scratching your head. So, um, you know, I, I, you know, give him credit. He's, he's sort of in this series, he's, he's kind of locked it in a little bit more than in the last series, which was a bit of a shootout every night, but, um, you know, I think this series will have the ability to go the distance. I, I still kind of like Vegas uh, in, in seven because I, I there's just no way Stasny and, and Stone and, and Pacioretty, like these guys can't stay snake bitten forever. And I know uh, Stasny scored last game, but, you know, he's he's got a lot of chances and, and uh, you know, Stone, we know what kind of player he is. He's, he's one of the elite players in the league at this point. Uh, Pacioretty, I mean, on any given night, has got the ability to fully take a game over. Um, and, you know, Tyler Sagan on Dallas, who is, you know, 
such a skilled player. I mean, he's got one of the hardest shots in the NHL. I don't think people even realize the way he can one-time the puck because he just doesn't do it that often. But, you know, I'm I'm sort of thinking he needs to elevate his game a little bit if Dallas is going to push through. Uh, I know the coaching staff has sort of been all over him this playoffs, but um, you know, it's, 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 I'm glad we're seeing this tight series. And, and you mentioned Jamie Alexiak who for years sort of struggled in and out of the, in and out of the lineup on some of these teams in Pittsburgh, even in Dallas. I mean, he's, he's come to and from a couple of times. So, you know, for me, I always enjoy seeing a guy who, you know, has has had its up and down moments and struggled to find that full footing in the NHL and then does um, some years later because I know the kind of patience and perseverance that takes because I personally didn't have it. And so I know how hard it is. Um, and so I always appreciate seeing stuff like that. So, you know, it's it's I think this series, Scott, just like we were texting about, I, I think this one has the ability to go the distance. Yeah. And for me, I thought it was critical that Dallas – you know, sort of bounce back and and have a better game. And obviously coming up with the victory in game three was, in my mind, was huge. The game had lots of, you know, ebbs and flows to it. Um, Some penalties, uh, five on three. And uh, the guy for me, though, has been Jamie Benn. And and I'll be the first to admit, have, you know, over a period of time, there's been, I think, lots of questions about, you know, where Jamie Ben was at, and certainly relative to the amount of money he's making as a Stars captain, you know, sometimes his play left you wanting, and I just think he has been so impressive um, throughout the playoffs, but certainly the last couple of rounds, very physical, and it doesn't matter where Rick Bonus plays him. You know, at one point in the West, uh, in that series against Colorado, he was down playing sort of on a fourth line. Plays with Radulov and Sagan sometimes. It's I just thought he was excellent last night. And he, you know, his contributions at key moments, that's what you expect of your leaders. And it hasn't always been that way for him. But, man, he's got that team now two games, two wins from going to a Stanley Cup final. Uh, and, I, I, you know, personally, I have to give a tip of the hat to him because I've been critical of him in the past. And I wonder what, what you make of, uh, of him and, and that leadership group for the Stars team. Yeah, well, we were the same draft year, uh, Jamie, Ben, and I, if I'm not mistaken, I think 2007. And, you know, he came into the league and really was was really good as, as a really young player. But, you know, he's such a big guy that I, I think, um, you know, he those types of players that play the game at 220 pounds or, or more, um, you know, those guys start to slow down as they hit. 30 years old, 31 years old, I mean, or, or a little bit, you know, older, you know, look at David Backus type of situation. Um, and, and it's just, it's hard. I mean, you play those hard, heavy minutes, which he does, and he plays the game on, on such an, um, you know, he's leaning on his edges and he's leaning on guys. And, and those guys do have a little bit of a slowdown when they, when they hit up into their thirties, but you're right. I mean, he's, he's their captain. Um, they have been, trying to get over the hump and it's like every year the playoffs come around and you're like Dallas is the team that could surprise us I mean they've they're loaded they don't give a lot up their playoffs uh low scoring suits the way that they play they've got goaltending they're they're you know all of a sudden Haskinen has turned into this incredible player and then you already have John Klinberg who's you know it doesn't get enough credit now because of all the credit that Haskinen gets and you got Esselin I mean they're they're a good team and and 
you're right. I think the emotion of that club lays on Jamie Ben's shoulder, and and you know I don't expect him anymore, Scott, to pretend, you know to to lead the team from an offensive standpoint. But what I do expect is it's the the like you said, it's the key moments, and and you know he's going to have to be the catalyst, whether it's physically, whether it's defensively, whether it's offensively. Uh, he'll have to be the guy for them to keep going forward, to keep sort of pushing Radulov, who has scored some big goals and has been a really good player in the playoffs statistically um, since he came to Dallas. And, um, you know, it's it's Rick Bonus, who I met this year at the Winter Classic, is, is such a good guy. I mean, the, the time that he gave us this year, genuine time before that game during such a big event was – you know, an eye opener to me as to why he's been in the league for so long and why everybody loves him. No one I've ever spoken to in, in hockey has anything but unbelievable things to say about Rick Bonus. And um, then you've got John Stevens there, who is is another one of these hockey minds and detail oriented guys. I mean, when I see all the good sticks and the good little habits that Dallas has on the penalty kill and, and in the defensive zone, the way that they, they collapse into the house and then they sort of fan out and their stick position, the amount of broken plays that they make because of just having a good stick, whether it's Haskinen or Klinberg or Lindell, I know a lot of that stuff is John Stevens uh, 101 because those are the things that he preaches. So uh, it's hard for me not to root for those guys um, and to see what they're doing and, and, um, you know, following through this series, I'll, I'll be watching just like you to see kind of where, where Jamie Ben can, can lead this group because, Hey, I mean, you said it, they're two wins away from the Stanley cup and I don't think many people pick them to win over Vegas. Yeah, no, good point. All right, I'm going to let you go, but I do want a final thought from you. Uh, going back to Philadelphia, I, that was a really important night, I thought, for Sean Couturier as he won his first ever Frank J. Selke Award as the, the NHL's premier two-way forward. Um, you see a lot of the Flyers. You've seen Couturier sort of grow up with that organization. How important do you think that award is, not just to him personally, but to the organization? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a big deal because... I think Flyers fans are a bit of an agonized bunch right now. I think this year brought a lot of people back into the the fold for watching this team. And, and the, the passion of the city of Philadelphia and their fans is sometimes a very angry passion. So <laughs> I think people were really, really upset when AV did not win coach of the year. I think that... Um, and I, I went right to Twitter to try to remind people that when you finish in the final three of a of a category for an NHL um, award, you you're an elite company, and somebody really good has to lose. So instead of looking at it from a well, you know, we got screwed, or well, our guy's no good, you kind of have to tip your cap to the person you know who you're running against in these situations. So. I really did think Couturier would get it. I'm fortunate that I get to cover this guy game in and game out. Um, he's a really good guy off the ice too. And, and he's a quiet, um, you know, leader who leads by example. And he's the first one on the ice. I mean, he just, he does everything. And I think he's become the cornerstone of the team, the franchise. 
Uh, he's still pretty young, which I think people forget because he's been in the league for so many years. And, you know, the things that he does on a, on a game in and game out basis, every time a player was struggling this season, Scott, they put him with Couturier to get him going. I mean, I watched it week in and week out. Couturier had new players around him on uh, up front because anytime Travis Konechny wasn't scoring, he went with them. Giroud didn't score a couple games, he went with them. Bort, I mean, right down the list, when a guy needed to get going, they put him with Couturier, which I think is sort of the ultimate confident, or it's it's the ultimate compliment. And it's just going to help Couturier's confidence and, and help his offensive game, which I think still is going to keep getting better, um, which is, you know, hard to say because he's been so effective def- uh, offensively. And, you know, his defensive work and, and his positioning and his mindset, that, that comes easy to him. So... Uh, you know, it's 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 a good day for him. It's good for the organization. A uh, lot of good coming out of this season for the Flyers, even though right now everybody's, you know, a, a little bit angry and emotional. Um, there's there's a lot of great things uh, that, that happened for this team this year that I got to see, Scott. It it's, seems like it was five years ago when you and I were standing at the skate zone together right. watching training yeah. camp. It really can't believe that that's just still part of this season. So... Um, I'll be interested to see what they do in the off season. I do think they'll try to make some moves, but it's going to be tough with, with the cap and, um, you know, they need to resign some people. I mean, it's, it'll be really interesting because there's not a lot of liquidity in the, you know, market this year for NHL teams. So, um, you know, we'll have to stay tuned and watch, which is what makes this whole thing fun. Right. Yeah, no question. And I'll tell you what, this has been the perfect start to a Friday to close out the week. As usual, Colby, you were outstanding, and you should always follow Colby Cohen on Twitter at Colby Cohen thirty six. My friend, have a grand weekend. Uh, I'm sure we'll be in touch over the the, the coming days as the conference finals uh, wind themselves to a conclusion. But thanks for taking the time and, and sharing your insight today. It was terrific. I uh, appreciate you guys having me, and uh, you too. Enjoy the weekend, and uh, we'll see what happens with the Islanders and the Tampa Bay Lightning tonight. What a great, great way to start Friday. I feel I feel energized already talking to Colby. Um, and you've got some time before Game 3, Islanders-Tampa. Uh, you should always check out uh, the full two-man advantage podcast uh, with Pierre Lebrun and myself this week. Interesting conversation with Bill Daly, Deputy Commissioner of the National Hockey League, talking about all that lies ahead in getting a 2021 season up and running at some point. So you should give that a listen. You should check out our comments section for each podcast episode at the Athletic app and rate and subscribe to the Two Man Advantage podcast on Apple. And if you aren't a subscriber to The Athletic, and come on, who like who isn't right now? Everyone should be. But you should subscribe now and save. Sign up now to see for yourself the creativity, reporting, and storytelling that sets The Athletic apart. And if you go to theathletic.com slash two-man advantage, you can receive an all-access subscription for just $1 a month. $1? That's, that's nothing. We hope to see you there. Join the 1 million subscribers who already understand just what it is to listen to and follow and read The Athletic. So you should get on board with that. And uh, you don't need to be reminded, but we'll be back Monday morning to recap everything that's happened over the weekend. Don't miss that. We'll see you Monday morning.